while it's very important to know your audience, regardless of what setting you're in, and really know how to speak to them as a product manager, it's also important to reflect on what brings you together in the workplace. I think this is something which is the new reality for us, right? After COVID and after like seeing remote work being so popular and dictated by employees all over the world. We try to learn more about the world, about how people work, how products work. And uh, in this way, we can build better products. We can educate ourselves and we can think better and broader about the product we're bringing in. Hello and welcome to another episode of Shine, a podcast by Star. And today we are asking the big question, how can organizations create effective product delivery teams across the globe with individuals in multiple countries and time zones? So to help illuminate this topic, we are joined by Star's very own Lisa Varetinakova and Anastasia Afonina. And then we're also joined by Nida Sara, who's a senior growth PM at Atlassian. And so in today's discussion, we are going to be digging into the vast experience of these star experts and external guests, focusing on managing product teams that are distributed around the globe. So we cover the culture that's needed to ensure a effective product team, and then also the tools and structure of the team in order to do this. So let's jump into that discussion. And the first voice you'll hear will be that of Lisa. Hi, everyone. I'm Lisa. I'm product manager here at Star. I have uh, quite a big experience of launching the products around the globe. And since uh, COVID started, we have distributed teams in multiple locations, in Star locations. So uh, really, it was very interesting and exciting to work with this experience. And I'll be happy to share it here. Hello again. My name is Anastasia. Uh, I'm delivery manager at Star. I've been here for eight years now, and I've been in various projects since managed cross-location teams for almost like all my career, and be happy to share the experience here with you guys. Hi, everybody. I'm Nella. I'm a senior product manager in Atlassian. I've worked in over three different countries, and I have almost a decade of experience in product management and software companies. Awesome. Thank you for the intros. My first question, going to keep it broad, is... Whilst delivering product with distributed teams around the globe in different countries, what are the most important aspects for a product manager to consider? And Lisa, I'd like to go to you first, please. Sure. So I guess when you're managing and delivering the products across the globe, working with uh, teams in multiple uh, time zones and in multiple locations, it is very important, first of all, to be synchronized. It is very important to understand the end game and to understand what's the product you're building, why you're doing this, and make sure that the whole team understands what they are doing. 
The next step, I would say, or the next stage would be defining the key roles in the, in the product and within the team as well. So understanding who is responsible for what, from whom you, are, you might expect some input and what is the output. And afterwards, also, it is important to understand the culture, right? So if we are working in different countries, in different cultures, we should understand what is the culture of communication? What is the culture of managing uh, the product or releasing the product there, the culture of users or the culture of people with whom you're working in? And like understand best practices of communication with this or that nationality and so on. Yeah, that's something that I actually wasn't considering at all. Obviously, you need to work out how these people are going to work together in different areas, but then you also need to understand how different people work. So Nida, maybe we'll go over to you on that thread. Like, do you have an experience of working with people in different cultures and like the process you went through to build a, an effective working relationship when there might be a difference in culture? Yeah, great question. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to work with very, very diverse teams, not just in a remote aspect or across different time zones, but also just co-located in Sydney because Sydney is very diverse. It's while it's very important to know your audience, regardless of what setting you're in and really know how to speak to them as a product manager. It's also important to reflect on what brings you together in the workplace. Like, for example, in Atlassian, we have five common values that are shared across most people and they get vetted before coming into the company if they do align and believe in those values. So while you do have to curate your messages and your style of working with people based on, you know, how do they work? For example, my designer really likes to work async. They prefer videos over verbal communication. And then I'm also more inclined on making short loom videos or recording myself while talking on Zoom and sharing some videos with him so that he can review it offline. But the developers in my team are more uh, verbal and less visual, and they prefer long form content. So those are some tactical differences across teammates that have nothing to do with time zones, but are just bound to their personalities. I like to still try to tie the thread across all these different people and think about the shared or common bond or values that bring us together in the company. So while it's, it's important as a PM to pander to all these different audiences, it's also Equally as important to bring balance in that and not over-index on any extreme. Yeah, I think that what, what you're, part of what you're saying is that actually, because you, by the very fact you're working with these people, they've come through some kind of filter for your value system of the business. And therefore, you can rely on those things or you have some idea of how they like to work or how they like to behave or what they believe because they are in your business. Yeah, because when, you know, like, Letha, you were saying, we have to make sure that we try to like factor in someone's cultural context or where they're coming from their background. That is awesome. And we have to be very inclusive and mindful of everyone's differences. But sometimes people's backgrounds may work in conflict with trying to get something done. For a good example that comes to mind is from Kim Scott's book, Radical Candor, and how she was asked to set up a team in Google in Japan. And she struggled with getting people to actually be vocal about their feedback, their concerns, their risks, because it's their culture is very quiet 
and they don't really talk up to their bosses and just openly divulge all their secrets. So that is counterintuitive towards improving a process or evolving a process with a team. So what I'm trying to say is know your audience, work with them and not against them, but also try to figure out common ground and common values that you all agree on and reinforce that in every single conversation. In Atlassian, we really believe in not screwing the customer. So every time we have discussions around how to build product, what is good, what is right, what sort of matrices do we have to think about while making a decision, or what sort of verticals or components that do you have to factor in when making a decision, I'd like to remind everybody, hey, one of our core values is we don't want to screw the customer and bring them back towards that point so that we can all align better. As you were like giving an example from the book, I was also thinking about the, one of the books that I recently read. There was an interesting finding about the culture distance. So basically, it, uh, probably not the cultural difference, but the interesting fact that, that was described and as an example of an airplane crash, because the distance between the manager and the employee was quite high or like big, that they didn't have a chance to communicate properly that there was an issue because culturally they cannot speak up to the person who had who are higher in hierarchy. And this caused a lot of issues and actually caused an, an air crash, right? So those distances and those cultures with those distances are like there's a whole range of those and you, you should probably also consider those when building a cross-national or national cross-cultural team cross-location team. And I think this is something which is the new reality for us, right? After COVID and after like seeing remote work being so popular and dictated by employees all over the world. So yeah, something to mention as well. So that's culture. The other part, I believe, of this discussion or important point is going to be time zone. So does anybody have experiences where you've managed to like work effectively in like extreme time zones, like here we actually, it's actually a case in point, it's not product, but we have three different time zones with about a, around a 12 hour, 10 to 12 hour gap here. So can anybody share how to get around the time zone issue when de delivering product in multiple locations? A lot can come out here, a lot. One of the projects that uh, together with Lisa we delivered was cross eight, different time zones and people were located all over the globe. We had Japan, Vietnam, France, UK, Ukraine, Poland, United States and Canada. It was actually amazing how we managed to get to get that working. And there was like quite a bit of different tips and tricks that we used. But probably the important thing is to like be on the same page with the whole team when you actually have this availability, if you're like eager to shift your working hours to meet with your teammates, maybe early in the morning or late in the evening, but instead take some like few hours during the day, then setting up your calendar to include all of those time zones and having this like regular meeting slot in the calendar for everyone if we need any ad hoc meetings or anything putting a timely notifications in our channel and, and like in chat for the team when you're available or not. This is like a common 
common sense things like hygiene that make all of the like all of the magic happen and to collocate virtually all of those eight time zones in one meeting. But I would say that was a huge challenge because Japan and United States or Japan and UK are like drastically different time zones, specifically when we are talking about a product delivery. I'd also add here uh, maybe the aspect of communication, like having one source of communication is also very important because, uh, for example, one Slack channel or one document or one uh, one chat uh, somewhere for the whole team where everyone posts the updates and uh, keeps everyone updated. And also, I guess it is important to sync up within each other and to plan the work because like, and in the end of the day, we ended up talking with uh, Nastya and saying, okay, your morning, you're going to do this, 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 and this, and my evening, I will do this and this. Until the time you wake up, I will have this ready and this up. So I must admit that at some point, this time difference was also uh, worth helping us because uh, we were working 24 hours and uh, we were delivering the result like 24 hours a day. And that was really interesting and exciting. So I like to, you know, test and learn. I don't think that anyone has actually solved for this your particular question. You're talking about extreme scenarios. We don't even really need to go to extreme. Even having two time zones, like Australian time, Australian standard time, and uh, California's Eastern time or Pacific time is hard enough because you're giving away so much by going async. Uh, and then on top of being remote, you don't have the same core working hours. You may have, if you're lucky, a couple of hours where you do overlap and that's about it. And depending on the function of the, the, the teammate who is further away from you, things can get harder and harder to a certain degree. If it's your designer as a product manager and you're working on a front-end heavy product, then that becomes excruciatingly hard to align, update, involve them in important conversations and get stuff rolling. So I would say you can look at what Apple is doing and what stances they've had where everyone has to be in the office five days a week and co-located. And then you get to see the, the Reddits and the WordPresses and they've been remote first for the longest time prior to COVID, only remote with almost no physical presence globally. What we've been doing in Atlassian is we've acknowledged that this is a genuinely hard problem and that while we may have amazing tools such as Zoom or Figma or Miro or or the likes that help us get awesome collaboration done async, no one has solved for it. And perhaps it's not something to solve for that's done and dusted, that is very context specific and very much a mirror or a reflection of the the product that you're working on, the team, the culture, and the type of people you're working with. So my final TLDR with wisdom is test and learn. Know the, the group that you're working with, the who, the what, the why, and then see what works best for you. Just like in my previous example, some people just prefer videos over text. Some people prefer text over video. Some people prefer waking up to Slack messages and so on. So make your own guardrails, set your own expectations and boundaries early on, test with your team and see what gets you into that rhythm of good flow. Totally agree here. For us, a little charm of a chatbot worked really, really good. So we managed to get timely updates from everyone and 
like not disturb anyone in, in a chat separately or anything. We just had a chat bot that was asking like three key questions every morning. And you wake up to just Slack messages to, to see that, okay, we have all of the updates, we are unlocked and we can go on, or we are blocked and we now need to figure out something. But everyone gave a little bit of a personal touch to their responses in that chatbot. And it was not just like you're reading a machine update or something. It was also fun and this helped a lot. Awesome. So we're actually naturally now coming on to tools and organizing work. So we've had the, the chatbot, which I assume was within Slack. Uh, Nila, you also me mentioned Figma and a couple of other tools. Can anyone share like, it's probably not great to give like single recommendations, but like the types of tools that you may need to do this effectively. And yeah, any like single recommendations if you have a tool that works really well. So I'll pass that back over to Nida. Yeah, three tools, something to help you draw, something to help you record a video and something to help you chat. Won't name brands, not playing favorites. <laughs> Very simple. So it's drawing, video, and chat. Yeah. I mean, writing text is a given. So you have to have your Word or Google Docs or your confluences. But yeah, I'm not including that as a text because I think whether you're async or not, or different time zones, you will have to write PRDs or spec docs in some location. It's either paper or digital, most likely digital. I would say outside of those, anything that can help you bring in a visual, anything that help can help you record, and then anything that can help you send text messages for easy Q&A, that's super, super helpful tools. And it could come in various flavors from AHA to Loom to Figma to Miro to Mural to the tons and tons of apps out there. I would just add on top that you also need a something to be the single point of knowledge for all of these tools where you can just consolidate everything that you have. So that if you have a newcomer to your team, a new member, you can just throw one link to the knowledge base and that's it. So, and he or she then would find out what you need to do and how you need to find where you need to find information and how you do that. So. Makes total sense. So we've covered culture. We've covered time zones, we've covered tools. Now I'd like to talk about like team alignment. If you have your six product managers in the office, you can like go for lunch together. You can like talk about the vision. What's different when you have team members with different cultures, time zones, about like aligning people around the common goal of making this product? How have you guys encountered that obstacle previously? I would say that first, it is important to understand like what roles do you have, right? What role of each person is uh, within the team? And then make sure that this person has enough input uh, about understanding what exactly they are expected to do or not expected they want or need to do. I would also add that it is important to keep everyone aligned, to show the strategic goal, to show where we're moving on, because sometimes this might, uh, might happen that if person is located somewhere without a huge time overlap with the rest of the team, they might feel kind of 
separated without having much communication. And doing this work, your work from a kind of small cell uh, might be sometimes challenging. So it is important to to align everyone to show general goal. That's, uh, I guess, first. And second, I assume that it is important to understand that you're always working with the person. You're always working with uh, with person who has their feelings, emotions, they have maybe feedback to share and this stuff. And it is important to listen to, even though you have like 30 minutes for, uh, for a call, uh, but it's nice to ask their feedback or what they think about this and, and stuff. Yeah, for, for our particular team, it was really helpful to have like one once a week morning coffee together where we can just chat like, not product related, not work related stuff, but just about anything, right? So you could like talk about your kids or your dog or book or a movie you've seen or anything. It was really like a team bonding activity, but at the same time, you you learn whom you work with and you get to know people much better, but based on their preferences, based on how they, they're talking about what they like or dislike. This is really beneficial for the team. And during our releases and all the regression testing that we were going through, in all of our locations, we would order some beer and pizza for everyone and just sit together with camera on or off in the chat or in a video call, whatever. But we knew that we all have shared the same pizza at the same time. It's just knowing this is really fun. So that helped a lot. Got it. Now, having remote teams, do you think that forces managers to have their team be more autonomous than if they were in the office? If yes, how do you enable different members of your team to work autonomously while still also getting to the a good product at the end? Yeah, that's a great question. Honestly, yeah, I think it totally depends on the context. And I always like to answer these type of things by going very broad breaking down into a concept and then actually following up with a practical example of how you know it would be executed or operationalized. It depends, honestly. And I know that's a very cheeky answer, but again, it depends on the team, your level in your career, and also the product or the type of thing that you're trying to deliver. If I were to piece your, the example that you gave, it would be hardest for someone who's just starting out as a PM and who needs a lot of management support to understand what actually constitutes the how towards the vision. But if you put senior devs or staff engineers along with senior PMs together in a room and the vision is clear enough, it's broken down in a story that makes sense and everyone has genuinely aligned to it, there's very little handholding needed. You don't really need to tell the PM please do X, Y, and Z, and then follow that up with A, B, and C. Neither do you have to do that with a dev team, right? So I think that it's been interesting seeing grads join Atlassian. It's been very interesting also for me to transition from a platform team into an experimentation and a growth team, which in and of itself has been sort of like a career change for me. I, I do acknowledge that in a remote context with people dialing in from PST time zone from Amsterdam and from Sydney, from Bangalore has been hard, but you got to ask yourself, what sort of company are you working for? Do you have a halo 
of time zones that you fall under and that you can collaborate with? If yes, can you get some Zoom time or some face-to-face time with the other person? If yes, then your life becomes a lot easier, right? Then you just have to set up some time with your manager on a weekly basis and have very intentional conversations on what issues you're facing and then ask them for support. And hopefully they're not just supportive, but they're also competent enough to give you those answers and you know spoon feed you how to execute. But if you don't fall under that, that halo of shared time zones, like you're not working with some overlap, at least like an hour of overlap, then you have to ask yourself the next best natural question, which is, can someone sacrifice their core working time zones? Can they meet me once a week at a time that's very uncomfortable? So I'll give you a specific example. We have one project where we have folks dialing in from Utah and Bangalore and Sydney. That is an impossible, impossible time zone. It is impossible to align that without breaking the rules of physics and teleporting yourself, right? What we do is we just beg for forgiveness and set up times at 1 or 2 p.m. in Sydney, which makes it a miserable 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. in Utah, and then a 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. in in India. It is very, very miserable for these both extremes, and we get to have like the more comfortable time zone, but it's something that everyone understands happens quite rarely, and they're willing to sacrifice just to get the ball moving forward and unblocking the team. So that's why I keep saying and going back to what company are you working for? What kind of teams are you working for? What sorts of complexities are you dealing with? It's not always a hard and fast answer. It's never a binary. It's very, very subjective. So in this particular example, we had one project. We had three, four different time zones. It was impossible to align it, even if it meant me waking up at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m., we still wouldn't be able to bring the India team on board or the US team. And we had to make a sacrifice, but we made it intentional. We made sure that we did all the prep work before joining into the meeting. We try to read and align as much on, you know, a Word doc or via Slack or some other async tool. And then we use that face-to-face meeting time to really kind of dig into the hard problems that cannot be solved on written or uh, videographic or visual content. So I hope that kind of gave you some some insights into how I structure this problem. Yeah, the key takeaway that I think is that, or one of the key takeaways, is that if you do have to meet when it's inconvenient for anyone, try and do as much as you can before or like async. So when you're on that meeting, you're like efficient. Yes, absolutely. And again, it only matters if there is that particular chance. And I would tell you another thing, which is if you're working with those time zones, ask yourself, why is that happening? Who's behind it, right? We have a rule in Atlassian. If you fall below or above six hours, you're not in the core team. You can't be in the core team. And I think that's fair. That's fair because the IC role for a PM is extremely collaborative and also very executionary. You can't get someone who's both collaborative and executionary and ask them to do willy-nilly and do whatever, you know, that breaks the laws of physics. We are organic material in the end of the day. And unless Elon Musk speeds up his work with the Neuralink, we can't upload our brains to the internet, right? So until that happens, we have to grapple with the fact that humans need to sleep. 
need to eat, need to wake up at certain times, need to have some sense of work-life boundaries and even like work-life balance. So ask yourself, why are you working? Why are you in this predicament where you have six different people dialing in as a core PM and an IC role, not an M role, not a management role, where you have to execute and you need to collaborate with these people dialing in from all these places? Can you do something very painful and put in a rule that if you fall outside of these core working hours, maybe you can't be in that particular product team. Maybe you should be in another adjacent product team. The balance needs to be everywhere, right? We are talking about work-life balance, but the balance in the team also needs to happen. And if we have, let's say, more junior people that need more time as the team, they need to be at least a few hours like co-located, right? Not maybe in the same location, but we shouldn't be talking about extreme time zone changes because it like just makes challenges more and more impossible to me, right? So it makes no sense. Why do we need to even make our life harder? Yeah. And there's a sweet spot, right? There's a sweet spot between that. You can leverage or harness the power of remote async work and you know distributed teams without having to break yourselves. I like the fact that tech pushes humans to really try and solve impossible or seemingly impossible problems. But I also think that there's a balance between being absolutely negligent of the fact that some things are hard facts and being very, very conservative and never wanting to tackle a very, very difficult and risky problem. Like we can send people on the moon, you know, we can do those difficult things, but we can't yet send people into Mars. That's another frontier. We have to really think about it till now. It's really impossible. So, so yeah, like, you know, it's good to be human. What can we do that would bring in that beauty and the magic of being distributed whilst also safeguarding our sanity? There is a good sweet spot and it depends on the team that you're working for and the product that you're building and also your, your stake in the ground in your career, like where you're at, what level you're at. If you're building something that's back-end heavy, PMs can take a step back. If you're building something that's super front-end heavy or super product or consumer-centric, maybe you have to be there quite heavily involved. If you're working with a large you know, async design team and you need them to be with you 24-7, then perhaps it's not a great idea to organize teams very far apart from each other. But that being said, you can always say, this role is only available for people who can work Sydney hours and find lots of nocturnal folks who just like to game all night or work all night and sleep during the day. And that just works well for them. So I know one of my colleagues has issues with sleep and they sleep in the, in the day and, and work at night and that just suits them. So they align with, you know, Northern European time zone quite well. All right, I got two questions to, to bring us to the close. First one, a bit more open. How do we think the role of the product manager is going to change over the next five to 10 years? I think that uh, eventually product managers might become kind of advisors, right? Because uh, I can see that there is the tendency of doing the work and separating the work on a more granular and granular level. So for example, like six years ago, when I started as product manager, I um, I started a small startup. I was doing almost everything, starting from working with the QA team, development team, uh, writing the documentation and so on and so forth. And uh, now we 
are heading to the directions when on some project I do the high-level strategic role, defining where we should move, uh, working with customers, stakeholders, and stuff. So I guess that the role, the product management role will be A, more granular. So you product managers will have smaller maybe areas of uh, responsibility. And I guess at some point this might get to the consultancy, but that again depends on the products that we are building. So that's interestingly enough, we had Marty Kagan come into the office this week to talk about product management. So for those of you who don't know who Marty Kagan is, he's like the godfather of PM. He's worked in like literally everything, eBay, Netscape, you name it. Someone asked him the same question. What do you think you know, PMs are going to do in the next 15 years? And he had a very interesting answer, which I think I actually quite genuinely agree with. He said he's been in the industry for 40 years and he hasn't seen PM work change at all. And I agree with him because ask yourself, 400,000 years ago, humans came on earth and wanted to eat. And it's 2022. It's almost 12 o'clock here. And I feel hungry and I still want to eat. The nature of food may have changed or the type of food may have changed, but your core need stays the same. So the products that we work on will, will evolve quite drastically. We might see ourselves, you know, finding ourselves do more VR stuff or AR stuff, or like there's been a rise of, you know, blockchain and cryptocurrency industry over the last decade. We'll see more evolution in tech. Some of it will come because hardware will evolve and then PMs will have to catch up with that. Some of it because just the actual computing and underlying processes will evolve. But the core PM role, I don't see them changing a lot. I actually see it getting deeper and more polished. I have experienced that myself in the last eight years. I'm working across different software companies. I've been in four so far and I've done everything from B2C to B2B platform growth and even like just plain browsers and news, newsfeed readers. You still have to write a PRD. You still have to write some sort of user story in some shape or form in whatever language for your team. You still have to help them prioritize. You still have to make sure that you can communicate what impact you've brought to the business and then tie it back to the revenue or whatever profit or you know big, hairy, audacious goal you've set up for the company. So you're very much a GM. You're very much an artist. You're also very much a scientist, but perhaps you can delegate some of those works more heavily and you can lean on a lot more excellent people in your team. So an excellent researcher, an excellent designer, an excellent engineering manager, and so on. So there'll be a lot more hands on deck, but your role will become a lot more polished, a lot more deeper, and a lot more critical for the business. A good PM can make or break what they're building. And then final question, how do we think better product management will make the world a better place? I found myself laughing because I was thinking of this a lot and I was posting on Instagram. I'm very social. I was like, software is evil. We try to steal your data and recommend products to you and follow you. We even listen to you sometimes and go like, okay, you know, so-and-so says they're interested in a trip to Italy. Let me just splash, you know, airfare ads and like video ads of Italy all across different, you know, products that they use on their phone and on their laptop. And you're seeing all these ads all the time. A lot of it is also misleading on purpose. Like the terms and conditions sheet, we make it infamously very large and long so that you immediately as a consumer go like, I don't want to read this. I will just sell you my kidney. Let me just go next and watch that 
you know, sign up for TikTok and let me watch that TikTok video. So software in a nutshell is pretty evil, but so is a lot of stuff in life. If you don't have people with strong moral values and strong ethics behind these companies, behind these projects, thinking very carefully about what they're doing, what they're holding, the power that they yield in their hands in their day-to-day life, then it can very easily go astray. A good example, and maybe also a really shitty example, is I like this parable of some soldier who was responsible for manning this crazy nuclear bomb. And although the commander had at that point, was it World War I or World War II? Not even sure if this is anecdotal or if a real example. I'm going to go Google it after this podcast recording is done. But he was being asked to set the bomb off and literally kill an entire nation. And despite him knowing his role and his duty and what was being asked of him and the line of hierarchy, he stood his ground and said, that just doesn't stand with my my belief system and my my morals. I'm not going to play dirty. These are civilians. I'm not going to nuke the nation. And there's this parable that that was the reason why we didn't end up like blowing up the earth. So I strongly believe in the power that we yield in software. It's not just PMs, but the whole collective, you know, managers, GTM, product managers, devs and designers too. I think we can influence pretty quickly. You see that with Cambridge Analytica, Facebook and so on. So know yourself, know what you really value and you care about, where your ethics and morals stand. And whenever you come across a decision that could possibly be, you know, morally ambiguous or negative, try to see if you could build with the right intention and save, save, save something, salvage something for the customer. I totally agree. For this, I would maybe add, as far as product management is quite a broad, specific work, and it's not often when you work on some very like short area of responsibilities. In order to do a good product, in order to bring your product to the success, you have to read and you have to synthesize a lot of the information. That is why I guess that uh, as far as the progress moving on, uh, product managers learn and we use psychology in order to better understand our users. We use data analytics in order to understand on a like, mass- mathematic level how it works. We try to learn more about the world, about how people work, how products work, and uh, in this way, we can build better products, we can educate ourselves, and we can think better and broader about the product we're bringing in. And I think if we always had like only good product managers, we would never see a service like, okay, no names, but some really weird browser or search engine in the market, or maybe some weird services where you cannot find what you're looking for to spending 10 minutes in the main page, right? So people will be probably nicer, calmer, you know, sort of that thing. Having better products. Having better products, exactly. It's like getting users not irritated. Mm -hmm. So better product managers got into better products and better products will make people happier. (laughs) This is how it works. (laughs) and we can end on that so guys i think we did a good job of creating a resource for product managers looking to deliver products uh, multiple times as we talked about tools we talked about culture we talked about alignment and we talked about the impact of this on how the world is going to become a better place so i want to thank 
all of you for joining. Nida, thank you for joining as our guest. If anybody wants to get hold of you or wants to ask you any questions, should they just go to LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn or Gmail. Yeah, Instagram, if you can find me. <laughs> yeah, if you can find me. But yeah, definitely. I'm pretty online. Amazing. And Lisa, Anastasia, where can people find you? LinkedIn. Yes, LinkedIn, Instagram. We're all there. Amazing. And all those links will be below on the episode blog post or in the show notes. Guy, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having us. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of Shine, a podcast by Star. I'm very confident that we answered the question of how to create effective product delivery teams across the globe when you have individuals in multiple countries and time zones. So I want to thank Nida. Anastasia and Lisa for the expertise on this episode. If you have any feedback about the show, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, thanks to you for listening.